Welcome to TB Community. I am Bob Domena, and here with me, as always, is the very sanguine Elliot Chibley. Sanguine? Like blood? <laughs> no. Sanguine is... You want the definition? Yeah. Optimistic or positive, especially in an apparently bad or difficult situation. Isn't, isn't it derived from blood? Um, I don't know, man. I don't know the derivative. Oh, oh yeah, dude. Yeah, so literally, blood red. What does that mean? And then, and then, oh, so there's multiple definitions. So the, uh, the, a second definition is blood red. A third definition is blood, bloody, or blood thirsty. As I like noun, the first one. As a noun, it is a blood red color. Okay. So as an adjective, it is the definition I've already said. All right. All right. I like that. Thank you. You're welcome. So go for it. As always, check out our website. It is newly renovated as of a few months ago. <laughs> and we've got some travel gear. We've got really cool information on some of our past guests where you can book a trip with them anywhere from Peru to Colombia to Iceland to Greenland to Cuba to Honduras to Spain, all of these amazing places. And check out some of our free itineraries that we have posted. You can download them, peruse them. You could use them verbatim if you wanted to and just have at it. So today's guest is, he was, oh, the, oops, I do it every time. Every trivia time, question. Bob. Yeah. So <laughs> to answer last week's trivia question, it was from our episode with Alan on Bolivia. The question was, what sweet tea, what sweet treat does Alan recommend to try in La Paz? The answer was Api Pastel. So if you answered that correctly, we will be sending you a Traveler's Blueprint sticker and giving you a shout out on our social media pages. Thank you for participating and tune into the end of this episode to hear this week's trivia question with our guest. Now, this week's guest was actually recommended to us by an old college friend of mine in the environmental field. He is a, a traveling biologist, and we really got into his sort of archaic travel style. We learned a lot about, uh, you know, we talked about zoos and whether or not they're healthy for animal conservation, uh, trophy hunting, and but but really, the, the bulk of the conversation was kind of around his traveling style, and, and we got into the places he's been in, in Asia and, uh, and South America. So it was really funny and, and cool conversation to have today. Um, so without further introduction, please give it up to our next guest, the buzzed biologist, Preston Sheeks. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Preston, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, so a friend of mine, an old, an old uh, college buddy, Jeff Dragon, introduced me to you. He, he messaged me on Instagram and said, hey, check out this guy's profile. Uh, we worked together a little bit. I think he'd be really perfect for your show. I did. I agreed. And now here we are. So Awesome, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you have the a biolog buzz biologist, right? A buzz That's your biologist is the Instagram. Yeah, buzz yeah. biologist. No, it's a great why? Name. Why buzzed? Oh, I like to drink a little bit. <laughs> is that, so is that what it is? Is it is it alcohol or are you uh, partaking in? Just buzzed off everything, man. You know, just yeah. always saying buzzed. Yeah, just always. Yeah, I like it. So it's me. all right, it takes the edge off. Um, yeah. It takes the edge off all of it, but so anything can be a buzz, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Co- I got have a coffee buzz right now. Like I'm a little jittery. Or even just going out, even just going out in the wild gets you gives you a buzz. You know everything. Yeah. Kind of well, especially some of the places you've you've been. We kind of went over that just a few minutes ago before we started the record. Um, you have a biology background, and you spent a lot of time traveling in Southeast Asia and India and Africa, Eastern Africa. Right? Just only Ethiopia. Okay, just Ethiopia, which is an incredibly interesting place. And, right. Um, so we're just going to jump into that today, right? We're going to jump into that. We're going to jump into whether or not zoos are a good place to visit, whether aquariums and, and going on safaris actually benefit the animals a little bit. Uh, there's some controversy around that. And uh, I think that's it. We're just going to kind of go with it. So um, before we start, why don't you give us like a little a brief background on your biology uh, experiences or wildlife yeah. experiences. Yeah. So uh I went to Ohio University, studied uh, wildlife biology, wildlife and conservation. And uh, my first job was in university. I was studying turtles, which is where I met your guys' friend, Jeff Dragon. We were living out in the uh, George Mason National Forest for like a month and a half. So I just like living in the woods. We all had different campsites too. Jeff actually had a house somewhere nearby. So he was, he was like living in luxury aisle, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm camping on the... Uh, the West Virginia side. And then my professor I was working with, he would camp on the Virginia side. Uh, we'd meet up every two days at a GPS waypoint. You know, we had no like cell service and we'd do like that. <laughs> trying to find each other <laughs> in the woods, you know? And then, so that was my first real like biological research job. And then uh, that was before I graduated. Then once I graduated school, I went out to, it was like a week later, I went out to Illinois for, uh, for, uh, Southern Illinois Carbondale, and hmm. we were studying the economic value of bats in agriculture. So we were catching bats at night and uh, trying to see how much they are, like how much environmental impact they have on like corn because moths lay their larvae and corn at night and bats have diseases right now. Nobody wants to save bats because they're bats, right? Like it's a lot easier to save a panda bear. Yeah. After that bat project, I flew to Hawaii to study the Maui parrot bill. Uh, which is a species of honey creeper, and there's only about like 300 to 500 of them left, and they all live in one small population. So the whole purpose of that project was to make another habitat on the other side of the volcano. It's Haleakala in Maui, so that we could reintroduce the birds over there, and hopefully in time they would come across the volcano back together. And there would be genetic diversity to help them fight off like avian malaria and all the weak genetic issues they have. How long does a project like that typically expect to last? A long time. So I was there 2013 and we were just reforesting part of the uh, volcano. And we were then going to the other side and collecting specimens just for genetic, that, like just to do genetic testing and stuff, you know. So we'd set up mist nets and uh, catch birds during the day. Wow. Uh, but that job was cool. Yeah, we would take a helicopter up. They would drop us off for a week and then come get us. I and think it's I would like, like being a biologist. Yeah, yeah. You got to get some sweet jobs, though. It's hard to get these sexy jobs. Yeah, but yeah so how did you like, get these sexy jobs? I had one professor in university who liked me a lot because he uh. was – because a, a lot of biologist students now or professors, they teach biology as, as facts, you know, like which that's not what science is. They tell you like, this is that, this is that. And then this professor was the first one that was, he, he didn't say, why is this that? Why? Or he didn't say like, he didn't teach you definitives. 
he said, why is this wrong? Even if it was the standard narrative that it is correct, he wanted you to argue in an exam that it was incorrect, just to see like what you could come up with. Test your critical thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah critical science thinking is all based all on critical. verifying right. facts. But now, but now, like modern education, they don't really have you critically think too much, you know? Yeah, yeah they're trying to standardize everything. Yeah, they standardize it and they don't tell you why. They just tell you it is. Yeah. Right. Like that's what, so his, his model was you're born the best scientist and you become stupider every day. And I love that because, you know, a kid, a kid will just ask you all the time, like, why? Yeah. Like, why, why is the ocean blue? And what do you, and then eventually the parents are just like, because. It is. And then eventually that kid's just, okay, because. Yeah. So they'll tell you like, they'll be like, oh, the ocean's blue. And then you'll say, why? Like, what's it, like, why do you think that? Why? And then it eventually becomes because. Yeah. Right. I, yeah, guy, it's definitely like, being lazy. It's just being lazy, and it's just that we just don't like to teach critical thinking. I don't think as much anymore. And then in a field like biology, it should be nothing but critical thinking. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be stats. So he told the first day of lecture with him, he said fifty percent of this textbook's incorrect, and it's going to be you guys who are going to be the ones that are going to change it. Which I liked. Yeah. Because yeah, I, most classes they just straight up tell you this is that. So, so what you took to his class and his teaching style and in return, he hooked you up with the yeah, job opportunities. Yeah, he was would... a critical thinker. He like him and I got along really well. And so he just kept getting me jobs after jobs after jobs. And then, so then, yeah, I went to Hawaii and had that sweet bird job. And then I also, I'm, I'm an adrenaline junkie. So it was like, okay, like the, like the whole like helicopter volcano thing wasn't really getting me off anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so then I was like, all right, I'll go to the Bering Sea. Like, I've seen deadliest catch. They had they had fisheries biologist jobs in the Bering Sea. So then uh, I went out there, and that was just doing like I was studying population dynamic dynamics to help build quotas for future like future years fisheries. Uh, that was a private contracting job for the government for uh, nice. NOAA. Yeah. Oh yeah, NOAA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was working for NOAA, private contractor. Um. It was an awesome job. I could go up whenever I wanted to, you know, like, because you work three months in a row and then they think you need time off because being up out there can be a little, like, mentally exhausting. Cuckoo. And yeah. yeah, you go definitely. That's what the words were. It was, like, three days, no water, three weeks, no food, three months, no, like, social stimulation. Yeah. Like, started to go a little crazy. Yeah. Wow. So that's what got me into, like, traveling a lot more because then it was, like, I come off the boat, I have money. I don't have, I have nothing but time. So it's like, what am I going to do? Yeah. That seems like a great pairing. Yeah. Right. It does. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. You, so that's you what might. got me like really into <laughs> hardcore traveling. So you had basically several months at a time between jobs doing the fishing biology. So where did you travel? Well, so like I first started traveling, like, you know, when I was a kid, we went to Mexico and stuff, wasn't really traveling, but my dad's always been different. So like that, we had the one trip in Puerto Vallarta where he took me out, you know, and we like took a little junk boat and then we, some small island to climb a ball, to climb a uh, waterfall and all that. And that was my first like, okay, That's I'm it. not out of resort, you know? Hold on, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so yeah, then it was like, oh, I'm not out of resort. So then in university, he lives in Costa Rica now. Uh, he says, come to Costa Rica with me. And he takes me on my first little mini, it's like 18 or 19. He takes me on my first little mini backpacking trip, you know, like where we're staying at hostels and all of that. And that's just like got me going. Then with him, I went to uh, Honduras and he started showing me the ropes. So then 
after my first, like I finished my first contract in Alaska, I was like, I'm going to go to Vietnam. But then I'm always extreme. So I get to Vietnam and it wasn't like I was going to go to Vietnam and do like the tourist route, you know? Yeah. So I land in Hanoi. I buy a motorcycle a second day I'm there and I don't even really know how to drive a motorcycle yet. And this is like <laughs> Vietnam where it's hard to drive. And I go on Google Maps and I look, I, I look for something that looks beautiful. Like I see a jagged road on the Chinese border and I was like, oh, that looks awesome. Like mountains and green. And I was like, I'll spend two weeks driving that. And then that took me a month and a half. Cause oh, it, wow. was like dirt, it was dirt roads, but that was like, <laughs> so I went from just doing like pretty basic traveling, you know, like Honduras, Costa Rica, stuff like that. to these places in Vietnam where it's like, they're like rubbing my skin cause I have hair and like, ah. like I swear the villages were telling each other I was coming cause they would all be outside waiting for me. And like, oh, they probably did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were like, yeah. who is this guy? Like, why I mean, especially if you're in Northern Vietnam. Yeah. You're this white dude riding a motorcycle, probably pretty terribly. Yeah, terribly, <laughs> and like, right? And it's a dirt road, too. Like, on Google Maps, it was blue. It looked like a highway. Right. And then uh, I'm just, like, going, and I'm like, and sometimes there'd be paved spots. And I'm like, okay, that part's over. We're good. And then, you know, you go a little bit more. And I was just so committed at that dirt. point. It was like, do I turn around or do I keep going? And then. All right, well, so, now I have so many questions right now. Yeah. Like, yeah. hey. All right, you bought a motorcycle. First of all, how much did the motorcycle cost? Like oh, that, 50 bucks? One, that one was 350 US. Okay. All right. That's yeah. more than I expected, actually. So mm-hmm. it was a pretty nice bike then. Yeah, I had to get a kind of a bigger one because I was going to go up in the mountains and I had a girl with me the first time. That's and, what I was going to ask, actually, if you okay. were alone or not. Did yeah, because it was like my first big trip like that. So she was with me. And then after that, I've done every trip alone. Okay. Okay. Uh, did she ruin it for you? Oh, absolutely. No, she didn't ruin it for me. She's a sweet girl. She was a very sweet girl, but she was very not, she, she didn't help with it very much. You know, like I'm driving all day and then I'd be like, can you please try to find us a hotel room? And then she'd come back and be like, oh, it's $30. And then I'd be like, all right, I'm going inside. It's $2, you know, like. $2? Yeah. We get hotel rooms there for like $2. Yeah. Okay. Cause that was going to be my next question. Yeah. So lodging. You didn't camp on the side of the road. You actually looked for like hostels oh, I or hotels. I camp on the each... side of the road too also, but... All right. So uh, no, no hostels. <laughs> I, I try not to stay at hostels. Okay. I try to always stay at guest houses or if people take me into their houses, that's what I like more. Okay. okay. And when you went to Vietnam... Seems different, yeah. Oh, it is very different. I've never stayed was, in a hostel. Were, and... and that part of Vietnam, there were no hostels. There was no tourist infrastructure, infrastructure at all. It was just local tourist infrastructure, like... Okay. The hotels they had were just hotels for family members or something if they didn't have enough rooms in there. Gotcha. Yeah. When you flew into Hanoi, did you, I assume you just got a one-way ticket because yeah. you expected to stay for like a few weeks and then you ended up staying for several weeks. Well, I was in just Vietnam for three months and then I, oh, I wow. drove into Cambodia after that too. Yeah, I left on the last day of my visa. Wow. Yeah, I drove into Cambodia on my last day of my visa and then kept going. Nice. Man, that sounds amazing. And how old were you when you did this? So let's see. I've been 23, 22. Man, that's awesome. That is awesome. I wish I I did something like that looking back on it now. Just so do it right now. Why not? (laughs) Well, now I have a job and a mortgage and a wife and a baby. It's a little bit harder. Oh, no, but I see so many people doing it with kids and stuff. And it's like, 
and it looks so cool because these kids are like free range kids, you know, like free range kids. I love <laughs> that's that. what I call them. I call them free range kids because it's like <laughs> free range cage free. Yeah, dude, like like just they're just running around with like kids of the the local kids, you know, and it's not like in the U.S. where it's you're watching them. It's I'm sure it's dangerous. People flying by on roads and stuff, but yeah, and the kids can't talk to each other. But they can, you know, they're communicating yeah, in that different right. way. And they're having such a blast, man. Like these kids are just like Tarzans, you know. Like <laughs> yeah. One of our early, early episodes was with the jet setting family. And it was like six months after they left the U.S. with their three-year-old and five-year-old yeah. to okay. go to Southeastern Asia. And I think they started in either Thailand or Cambodia or Vietnam. One of those three. That was, which. that was a year and a half ago and they're still traveling. And they're they still going. Yeah. 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 Well, it's so cheap there. Like the first yeah. time I went, I was like, all right, maybe I'll be there three months. And it was like eight months later. I was like, I should probably go home. Yeah. <laughs> eight months. Yeah. The first time there. Wow. So after your visa expired, what did you do? Just went into Cambodia and then I went into Laos and then I went into Thailand, and then uh, I went into Myanmar. All on the same bike? No, the bike I had to sell because you can't drive the Vietnamese play bikes into Thailand. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I was getting tired of it. So I had the bike for like six months, and then it's like, that's like, so like when you travel like that, it's more of a job than it is pleasure, you know? And like, there was like this one point where I was doing this long stretch through central Vietnam, and it was just pouring rain every day and it's just like i'm sitting there and you wear these like big poncho things with like a little like they're like motorcycle ponchos and i'm watching these tourist bus drive by and they're just splashing me with water and i'm just like oh man i know there's somebody on there right now sleeping just like (laughs) warm dry right it takes me like four days to get from one town to another versus their like overnight bus you know they're just gonna get on there and lay down have a have a nap wake up with the other tourist spot yeah. Well, it's nice to be but able to do both, have both experiences. You know, you did the bike and then to to break, take a break from it, essentially. And, yeah. You know, you can, it seems like you can always go back to it. You can always buy another bike and, and, and oh, do yeah, it. Oh, yeah. I've been, I bought bikes in other countries too. It's just yeah. uh, having the bike so much different because these tourist towns started to drive me crazy because everybody goes to the hostels and stuff, you know, and then they won't really go out of the hostel or they'll go out with like a group tour. And I feel like a lot of these people there are just there just to be like, hey, I've been here. Yeah. Like I was in like Cali, Colombia, which I guess they consider it more dangerous. And like, so that I stayed at a hostel there because sometimes I get lonely, you know? So I wanted to go to a hostel and it was like, these people will never leave their hostel. And then, you know, they would go out, maybe take one photo and they're going to go home and tell people like, oh, I was in Cali and it was a beautiful place. And it's like, yeah, but those those people. people we call the vacationers, not the travelers. Yeah, or the Trustafarians right. or the the Trustafarians. Yeah, there's some Trustafarians out there, and I like that. You yeah. know that one? No, the trust the trust fund kids that are with the uh, with the dreadlocks are like, come on, man, you don't need to have a job, man. That's uh, like, that's because you're a trust fund kid. <laughs> Trustafarian. <laughs> I'm going to use that. Yeah. I'm hijacking that. <laughs> At the same time, though, it's it's hard for people to travel like you all the time too like you're right. on a different level yeah uh, i don't think it would be wise for a lot of these people who want to see these countries to, t- to do no, what you do yeah definitely and not I, wise you have to have a definite you have to have a personality for it right yeah. and i do think it'd be even more interesting if you were not a white male oh what do you mean like if you if you were a minority traveling in the u.s like minorities traveling outside of the u.s i think have a harder time yet than 
a white male, and if especially if you're female. Well, I saw four black people in Vietnam. Wow. I counted four. We counted me and the girl I was with because when we first time we saw like an like a they were from the U.S. or England, but it was just like whoa, and didn't even realize that like yeah yeah yeah. I mean, but it's so, it, like I don't think I don't think women travel solo like you would. I meet a lot of solo female travelers. Do you? Yeah, but but they don't travel solo like so. What I do is when I find them, I. I take them out to do something crazy that they would never do on their own. Okay. Like, oh, hey, you want to hop on the back of my bike and we'll go here and see what happens. Right. Safety <laughs> seems to be more uh, a driving factor for women solo travelers. They need to kind right. of constantly be looking over their shoulders as they travel right. around. Yeah. It definitely and, depends on the country you're into. Right. Yeah. And our, our very first episode was with a good friend of mine from college and she did 900 miles in Chile biking. And oh, safety was like her pedaling. priority. Yeah, like yeah. pedaling, pedaling. That's crazy. That one's yeah. crazy. <laughs> she did like 30 miles on average a day. Just, she was there for an entire month um, just in Chile, but she had awesome. been to a few other countries prior, before and after. But yeah, she was focused on safety a uh, majority of that trip, knowing what where to stay, knowing when to call it a night, knowing where to camp. And it's stuff that Bob and I and a few of our guy friends, we don't really think about when we're traveling because we don't have to. And I try not to think about it too. Uh, I don't know, but I've never really had too bad of an experience with that. I think a lot of it's more mostly like if you respect the people and you, I mean, if you just, if you just understand they're the exact same as you, they're not going to take advantage of you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like instant heart. Even in these that? countries, even in these countries that have this bad reputation as being unsafe, a majority of the population still is good. Oh, even with everything nice in the news. People, and, and then once you're down into the nitty gritty of the country, like you do, like you get, and you're meeting these people, it's chances are you're going to be fine. These people are the nicest people in the world. Like, yeah, yeah. that's once you get down to the countryside stuff. It's like, what's the catch here? Like, they're yeah. way too nice of people. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we've heard from a lot of people that have traveled Southeast Asia is that the, everyone is just so nice. Mm-hmm. And that jet setting family, when they had their kids with them, the, even if they couldn't communicate, everyone wanted to help out with the kids or play with them or talk to it them. It takes a village. Yeah. That's how they raise their kids. Still. It it's is. the village mentality. And that works way better. I don't know. The, they give, these kids get so much love from so many different people. And they all like. Yeah. Versus in the U.S. It's like, oh, like a kid comes up to me in the U.S. I'm like, ah, like, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> yeah, what is that thing? And then it's a, I'm in Asia and I've got like kids climbing on me, and I was like, I had never really like hung out with kids before, you know. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like I can yeah. play with them, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very different, very yeah. different. So I want to transition a little bit into the wildlife aspect of your travelers travels. Okay. Um, so I guess let's start with uh, which which of your travelers it travels is the most significant in relation to wildlife? Like where did you have the, the best experiences or, or worst experiences? I always throw it in and everywhere I go, I guess. And I think about like, what would be the first big wildlife one? They've all been, I don't know. Cause it's always just pops up. Like, you know, just seeing Burmese pythons in Burma and then, uh, elephants, orangutans, orangutans was kind of a cool story. Uh, so I went to Sumatra and, I didn't want to pay for like one of those normal guides and stuff, you know, so I hang out in this village for a while. And then there's this medicine man named Marlene. He's my friend on Facebook. still. we still talk. And 
So him and I go out for a couple days and he takes me out to see orangutans and he's like picking all these plants and stuff for me to eat. And like, but that's when I was like, do I really want to go to zoos anymore? Cause it's a new challenge now. It's like, if I want to see the animal. I have time and resources to go find it. Yeah. And it's a whole different experience when you do that, you know, put the mission to it and like, yeah. So yeah. speaking of zoos as a biologist, what do you think of them? They do research. I'm not sure how good all of their research is. So the research aspect's okay. Depends on where they locate the animals. Um, it's a good opportunity because a lot of people won't have, sorry, excuse me. A lot of people won't have the chance to go out and see those animals in the wild, yeah. you know? So for those people, it's okay. Like ethically, it just depends. Yeah, it's a gray area. It is a gray I mean, area. Because yeah, they do research though. There's a lot of important research that comes out of zoos. Yeah. yeah. Well, the Philadelphia and Zoo, a lot for example. Of, what was that? The Philadelphia Zoo, for example, is tied to a lot of different conservation efforts. And there's sort of like this web of conservation efforts among zoos, uh, not only within the United States, but within Europe. And they'll all be in the same program together. And they'll shuffle animals, too. You know, if, if the gorillas at the Philadelphia Zoo have several healthy children, they'll then transport some of those healthy gorillas to other zoos that need gorillas. And it's... I, I I struggle with it because I think overall I'm on board with zoos, but then you kind of, you go to these zoos and you see some of these, um, these exhibits and like the cheetahs are in a, a right. relative to their habitat, small, like, tiny, tiny enclosure. Right. And then I think, you know, these aren't necessarily wild cheetahs. So you're not pulling a cheetah from the wild and then locking them up. At right. least, at least these, these cheetahs are born in the wild. They're born into this habitat. And so it is a little bit better. Right. Yeah, it's all they know. Right. It's all they know. Man. And then, but yeah, it's such a gray area because, and I haven't really looked at much of the research that comes out of zoos, but there's also these, there's also species that are really close to going endangered. So at least you have like a little bit yeah. of them there. If yeah, we need that, right? The population, yeah. population dynamics of like, or the like variance in zoos is so low and stuff that. It's probably not enough to ever save a population again. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, it, that's tough. I mean, I think for the species that are, are critically endangered, you have to go yeah. in zoos because if not, Do something the, the them, efforts right? to, the efforts to save a lot of these animals is not working. You can see that with well, the Well, then that goes like poaching and stuff too, where it's right. like, where poaching is still a gray area to me too, because it's like, not poaching, I mean, but exotic animal hunting because yes. someone pays a lot of money to kill off a genetically weak animal or an older that one money is supposed to go back into conservation, which like a lot of these countries are never going to get $300,000. No, right. <clears throat> and that's, right. The, that's the hardest thing is actually tracking to see where that money goes. Right. You have to, you'd have to follow it, but the people that work, that, those rangers seem pretty dedicated to their. Oh, absolutely. Know, well, they know yeah, it's like, part of their livelihood. If they don't have those yeah. animals, they won't get the funding. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm loving is that countries are realizing that their ecotourism is worth way more money than their slash and burn agriculture and all mm -hmm. the other stupid stuff they're doing. So yeah. I'm starting to you're starting to see that all over, and it's really good. Yeah, we had a lengthy conversation about uh, conservation hunting a few months ago with a safari guide, and then with another individual on uh, who basically looks for safaris across the world. And okay. It is. I think conservation hunting is a really gray area as well because it I mean, can do a lot of good. 
Right. Yeah. It's a uh, conservation is killing too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I that's, mean, that's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. I don't understand the thought process of the individual who wakes up and says, I want to go kill a lion. I don't get it. I don't agree with it. I think it's weird. It's just, that's just probably then, their status right. thing. Yeah. And then ignoring that, if they do, no, let's go ahead. No, you go ahead. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, so ignoring that weird mentality where you want to kill a lion or a giraffe or something, that person then travels to that country. And let's say they, you know, let's say it costs a hundred thousand dollars for a license to hunt a full grown male lion. As long as that money goes to preserving the population and then helping the people, Right. I mean, it's it's one of those things where photography doesn't really cut it. And I don't right. think tourism cuts it. Like going on a safari tour doesn't make nearly enough money either. So right now in the state we're in globally and with these safaris and things like that, the only way to make significant money is to allow people to go and kill them. Right. Yes. And so it's sort of right. like this, it's like this strategic sacrifice where you sacrifice one member of the population for the well-being of the population as a whole. Yeah, and it's typically as as Preston said, genetically weaker or older. They're no yeah. longer reproducing. They're typically right. male, or they're preventing other healthy males from reproducing. That was the case with the giraffe yeah. and Cecil the lion. Yeah. So then, at that point, you're like, it kind of needs to be killed. And if you got some guy who like thinks it's gonna make him feel more manly if he kills a lion that some guy stocks for him and he pays tons of money for it, then it's a win-win, right? Yeah. Yeah. Rather than killing it for no money. Yeah, right. so then that that like has more park rangers to get rid of poaching because poaching there's just tons of the amount like the levels you hear of poaching it's just hard to believe when I hear that I don't yeah. know because well now the rangers are in a few areas I think like Kroger Kroger National Park has armed rangers I think I've been I saw this recently and yeah. there's there's special units of anti poachers that are like an elite unit an elite team to either take on poachers poacher, or prevent right? it. Yeah. I think I saw Insane. that. Yeah, that was it's intense. I know, that's right. It's a crazy job. Yeah. Well, I want to, I want to jump back to our conversation because I know we got sidetracked on zoos and conservation hunting, but going back to your wildlife trips before we actually started the podcast, uh, you were talking to us a little bit about your trip in, I think it was Sri Lanka and you were doing a motorcycle ride with the girl and you're going to go to the tiger conservation oh, area. Oh yeah, that was India. Yeah, India. India. Okay. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. What okay. So there? I had met her in a tourist town. She was from England. She's a lawyer. She's never been camping. I have a hammock. I'm a biologist. So you can trust me. And I was like, <laughs> and we were driving south and I was like, uh, oh, well there's this Anshi tiger reserve here and it's not a big tiger reserve. There's not some of them, but the highway runs straight through the middle of it. And I was like, well, why don't we go camp for a little bit? You know, like, we'll pull off the side of the highway. We'll go on Google Maps and we'll look for, like, we'll follow the train and all of that and look for somewhere that looks like it's got water because it was kind of dry season. So, you know, we drive up and down this road and I find this beautiful spot. I'll actually, I'll send you guys a picture of the spot later. But, um, yeah, it's this beautiful spot. You know, it's got this natural pool of water and just trees and uh, monkeys everywhere. A super wild area. Because I told her she shouldn't have trusted me. I mean, you should never go out and try to find a tiger. I don't think. <laughs> I didn't know what no, I was. You got to be a little bit crazy <laughs> to do that. Yeah, they're gonna find you. But it was just the thrill of it. But um, so yeah, we camp out there for a couple of days. I remember one night she just wakes me up because we're sharing a two-person hammock. She's never camped. I don't have a mosquito net. I'm kind of extreme. I bought those mosquito sticks for her or whatever so that they would like keep them uh, away at yeah. night. 
And then uh, she's just bawling, and I'm like, what's wrong? And then there was two kinds of cats fighting out in the distance. They weren't tigers, but they were – it was some kind of feline, like, growling and stuff. And then I'm like, okay, relax. And I turn on my headlamp, and then i like, about to get out of the hammock. And then there's a snake going right under the hammock that I almost step on. And then she's just, like, <laughs> crying. She's like, what the hell am I doing with this American man? Yeah. <laughs> 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 But then, uh, so then I would buy my own food too to cook there. And this was actually part of like, yeah, so I'm kind of like a caveman, I guess. But uh, so <laughs> she was like, so she was vegetarian for ethical reasons. So I was like, well, let's go buy live chickens and I'll show you how to clean them. And we can do all of that. And then you can eat something that, that you took its life and you, and then you ate it. Because I think a lot of people that eat meat, they they like separate themselves from that you know like they go to the grocery store and then they'd be like could they kill a chicken no it's like well then you shouldn't eat a chicken if you can't kill it mm -hmm. yeah uh, so yeah we i went to go buy the chickens and uh they're looking at me weird too because there's no white guys in this area anyways and like why is it, why are these two white people buying chickens i get my chickens and i'm driving back to my campsite and cops come up behind me and they they're like where's your spot i take them down to my hammock and then they're like they kept calling me a poacher. I have a bird tattoo, and I guess I pulled down my bird tattoo. I was like, "No, I'm a biologist." And she's <laughs> over there. She's over there telling them like, "That's not a badge, Preston. That is not a badge." <laughs> 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 they ended up just telling us that we had to leave, but that was my way to try to. F I never found a tiger yet. Weren't so they asking you for your gun? Oh, they asked her. So as I'm showing, oh, they asked her. They're talking to her. Yeah, this proper English lawyer from London. That she was like, they're like, "Where's your rifle?" She's like, "Does it look like I've ever even held a rifle in my life?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just have a motorcycle too, so it's like, all right, I'm gonna kill this huge tiger, right? And then I'm just gonna what? Strap it on the back of my bike and just sneak right out. But, yeah. <laughs> Did it ever get to a point where you were scared for your life from these guys? Because I know that they, they oh, no. No, to no tolerance for poaching there. The what was that? <clears throat> I know there's very little tolerance for poaching. And so I didn't know oh, how yeah. no, sketchy I wasn't worried about these guys because I'm, I'm pretty good with that. Yeah. Okay. The police in India are, yeah, they're easy to get along with. <laughs> so there's my India tiger story. Uh, in India, though, I, I did see the Asiatic lion, which is in Gujarat. Are, the, are those nearly extinct? Yeah, there's just one population. Okay. It's not nearly extinct, though, at that population. It's actually overpopulated, but there's just one population of them. Okay. It's an Close Adriatic to, uh, lion? Asiatic. Asi oh, Asiatic. Not like I mean, the sea in Greece. Yeah. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I found those bad boys. Uh, Oh, okay. my bike there so but yeah since i always have a motorcycle it takes me so long to get places and do all this stuff so yeah that's actually uh, really cool i like the idea of riding a motorcycle seems to be so a, much a, work a, a lot of work but efficient have you ever heard of the book <laughs> the art of motorcycle maintenance no i haven't all right it's me it's basically a general take on why maintenance is good for your mental health like maintenance of a motorcycle is good for your mental health or well he, the book was basically on motorcycle oh, maintenance maintenance but yeah in general how like cleaning dust buildup all this it was a very interesting read it's called zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance yeah it's that um i, I guess then would be the word for it though but you know that process of going through things cleansing something is 
symbolic probably to cleansing your own yeah. thoughts and yeah routine yep. right the routine exactly but yeah the motorcycles make it traveling so much more difficult because if i do it alone and sometimes i'll just go like months without meeting tourists and stuff and it's like yeah. and then and combine that with working in alaska and it's like <laughs> so lonely so yeah can... i know and then i'm trying to talk to people again and i'm just like a caveman or i'm just like like well, yeah, so then, can you, but then it's also too i'm traveling all the time and then i now i'm in alaska working with fishermen so i'm speaking broken english and yeah no no like judgment towards fishermen but then i'm speaking with fishermen just grunting so it's like I'm, I'm trying to talk to normal people in the united states and it's like broken english and like <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is probably nice for you to talk to two what? people right yeah yeah here you go here's your break um, you get to use my brain a little bit <laughs> something i'm something i'm really curious about is like your experience is just being alone so that's something i never have done and i've read about people doing it and i've talked to people who've done it but as you're driving around you're making your own plans you're doing whatever you want whenever you want and but what is like your general thought process as you're just driving through is it like do you try to use this these experiences in like a very practical like mental learning um like like do you do you consciously use it for character building or are you just like that looks cool like i want to go there or that, that looks, looks cool, cool i want to go, go there okay and so you're not really there's no objective like Simple. i'm gonna use this for like a spiritual journey and no, like expand my mind you're really just like i want to do fun stuff and I i'm just, just gonna try do it but then by doing that it is the spiritual journey that is expanding my mind Right. I think if you go into it with the like impression of that I'm gonna have a spiritual journey and expand my mind, then you're just you're not going to. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. you're not you're going to. Too much yeah. pressure on yourself to do it. Yeah. And so, right. as you're as you're driving around on these lonely rural roads with no English speaking people, are you just? I, I mean, what is that like? How would so, you describe that? It's hard to describe, man. It's I don't know, yeah. like. Some days it'll just be 10 day, ten hours straight, you know, and it's like sun beating down. And like, that was like, especially in India in the desert, it was like that a lot, you know, there's camels and stuff. And then you, but the people, it's like, even though I'm not talking to them, everyone's so curious about me, whatever uh, I stop somewhere. So yeah. they all, they all, someone will always sit with me. Someone will always, but yeah, really? we can't communicate still, but yeah. it's, I still don't feel super alone. But I do crave it then. Then I go to a tourist town. like and You just want to talk to people. Yeah, talk to some people. Try to find the girl crazy enough to hop on the back of the bike with me so I can show her something different. Take her <laughs> An out English lawyer. Yeah. yeah, the English lawyer, for example. And do, you, or do you normally find a girl willing to, to ride along with you? Oh, yeah. They trust me too much. <laughs> so so how does that happen? So you, you see what a, a girl that you find attractive, you introduce yourself you go and... out for a little bit you know and then that was like what are your plans for traveling and they're usually probably going to go from lonely planet spot a to lonely planet spot b and i'll be like well how about we go look at this and then that's why they're there really right most people go traveling because they want to have this they want to experience something new and they want that sense of adventure and then they they follow other people's guides from it because they don't know if they're confident enough to go out and do something even more a little a little bit right. more adventurous so then I'll tell them, yeah, just trust me. So then you come and sweep them off their feet and offer these. Uh, sweep them off their these... feet, take them from town to town, and they fall in love, and then I got to hide. <laughs> <laughs> just promising these exotic experiences. And then how do these relationships typically end? Do you, like, finally get back to a touristy town and then just say goodbye and go in your separate ways? 
So that was way too accurate. <laughs> <laughs> well, usually it's just I think I'm going to be going a separate way than they're going to go, or or I'll travel with them for a while, and uh, and then it, one of us usually has to go back. I'll go back to Alaska, or yeah. And and this is a PG show, but do these relationships end up going uh, in like a romantic direction often? Oh yeah, yeah. That's the start of it, right? <laughs> okay. and everything about traveling is romantic already and stuff you know like right yeah so that's a yeah sweep them off their feet take them along with me and then they always all appreciate like like the whole experience even if like because yeah that's easy to make a girl fall in love with you then too if you're just like oh let me show you something cool let yeah. me do this and right that, and then just leave and then like fun well, if they're already there they're looking for something new mm-hmm. and exciting they're searching. You're and right. then never here comes like this that. buzz biologist with this beautiful, beautiful flowing beard. locks and <laughs> great and beard. There, well, there's something incredibly appealing because everybody wants to travel like you do. I think, I mean, most travelers do. I do. And I tend not to like, you know, uh, it, there's something about the way you travel where you, you just have unlimited time, so to speak. And, right. uh, you're willing to just kind of adventure out and, and kind of wing it. Whereas I tend to travel and I know I'm already, I've already have in my head. You know I, wanna, see. I know Bob I know Bob has been planning his Italy trip, his one week oh Italy God. trip Two for weeks. one and a half years. Two week Italy trip. <laughs> no way. Yes. <laughs> Not that long. So yes. I buy my ticket off Skyscanner the day of my flight when I don't know where I'm staying the first night. Uh, oh, no, man. I, Bob can't do that. No. See, I, I want to. Try I have it, it once, though. But I, well, I think I'm going to actually. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll explain oh, that. But ooh. I, um, in my head, like, I don't want to miss anything. And to me, the way not to miss anything is just to put in a ton of research and know when I get there. Okay, you know, That's you go to the Coliseum, though, I think. make a right at the Coliseum, make yeah. a left down the alley, and then boom, cafe. See, it, and like I'll know That's where. That's how you miss things, though, I think, because you're, you're too not... concerned on not missing things, you're going to miss it. Yeah, well, you're going to miss the stuff that you didn't have planned. Well, the thing is, I plan for days to be spontaneous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have your spontaneous <laughs> 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 So ironic. <laughs> yeah, no, but um, I think actually for... Uh, my next trip with my wife where her and I are going to go together. We're just going to do the, the Scott's cheap flights thing. And when it pops up, we're just going to book and go. Yeah. That's what I do. Yeah. I'm about to do that right now, actually soon. Yeah. yeah. Are, you, are you do Scott's cheap flights? I do Skyscanner right now. I don't know if Scott's free, but I'll check that one out. I just go on there and see what's cheap. And I usually get it for the same day. And then uh, when I get there, I'll find a place to stay. I was just reading articles somewhere there where people uh, basically went to an airport, bought the cheapest flight, and then stayed in that location for a few days and went back to the airport, bought the cheapest flight, and then just continued to do that for a few months. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, I couldn't imagine doing it that way. Now, if I were You in, can once you do it and you well, realize everything's going to be okay. You have money and you have yeah, a passport. If I had a different lifestyle, the thing is with my job, it's hard for me to get this the time off that I want to actually travel like you do or travel for an extended right. period of time. So when my time to come actually comes, um, it's like, okay, I have, I have two weeks. I want to see everything I can and really get it all in. And so for me to go to Italy and just kind of wing it and not know where the museums are, where the things are that I want to do, then I feel like I, I, the possibility of me for me to come back and then be like, read about something. Like, oh, oh man, I was right it. there and I didn't get to see that. 
Now I and know it's all there. What about feeling it instead of seeing it? You know what I mean? Because I feel yeah. like a lot of times people spend so much energy in a country on seeing things that they and forget not to experiencing actually feel it. what it is. Yeah, they yeah. feel what it is. Like I have one friend who travels who refuses to go to every single biggest tourist attraction in every city. <laughs> I, like, I understand that not, thought process. Yeah. yeah. So feeling it, I, I, I understand what you mean. And I've been on trips where you kind of just go down a road yeah. just because it looks cool or you do something and then it ends up being great. And I try to, I, when I plan these trips out, it's not like I have to do it. It's actually part of the name of our podcast. It's a blueprint. And so we yeah. have our blueprint for our, for our trip. And right. if we wake up one morning and it's like, what do you want to do? Well, let's look at the blueprint. Here's our options for the day. Or yesterday we talked to the waiter who said like, there's this really cool spot. Um, yeah. Let's do that instead. And so I don't hold myself to it 100%. I do leave the option to kind of go off and do something else. But at the same time, I like to have something to fall back on just because I don't want to wake just come up. Just find me somewhere sometime. Yeah. Yeah. I have, yeah. One, fr- I have one friend who does that. He, he comes like every three to six months for like two weeks. He'll text me and he'll say, where are you? And I'll tell him and then he'll be there in two days. Dude, I kind of like that idea. I might, I might do that. I so like that idea my a lot wife's too. Pretty, my wife's is very easy going with it like she doesn't really she understands the kind of guy she married and i think she's cool with me doing these trips as long as you know i give her notice and where everything's tied away and i'm capable of stepping away um but yeah mate that would be pretty awesome actually just hit you up then i have my mom that's my one on this side she's just like freaking out all the time like because i don't know where i'm going so like when i went to india this time i landed there and it was diwali do you know what diwali is no, it's their New Year's. It's the oh, biggest yeah. party of the year. I had no idea it was Diwali. I I had just got done with work. I just bought a ticket so that I get. I land in Delhi and uh, and like you know I've been in Alaska and stuff. And they smoke they smoke a lot of hash in India. I don't do that up there, you know. So this taxi driver, right? Some weird taxi drivers there. And then he, I love this PG for the podcast. Sorry, but he gives me some hash. And then he's like, "All right, where are you staying?" And I'm like, "Oh, I don't know." And he's like, oh, no, man. He's like, Diwali. I was like, what does that mean? He's like, everything's booked. It's the New Year's. Like, So what'd you do? I do. I had dropped me off on a quarter and I found a place to stay eventually. But I was like, he was just like, I was like way uncomfortably, way uncomfortable there because I he like got me to smoke. So then I'm like kind of a little high and then I'm kind of like <laughs> in India. Like I've never been to India and it's like real, it's in Delhi and it's India is like, it's what they say, you know, there's cows everywhere and there's, it's like, it's like how they described it, you know? So then I'm, and I'm just like, Dude, I couldn't, around. so you land in Delhi, one of the most populated yeah. cities on the globe. Right. You it's get like high off the hash get and then you just the get hash. dropped off with a no place to stay. Yeah, the taxi just, driver was crazy. Oh, too. dude, I see, see. I can't do that, man. This taxi <laughs> no, driver drive with his feet in the, and it's already crazy. And he wasn't really like an official taxi. Because yeah, he had the hash, and he's and then like and then he was like, yeah. So where were you going? I was like, dude, I don't have a hotel booked. And he was his face was just like, oh no, man, oh no, man. It's Diwali, Diwali. No, it's like they like basically tell me I'm sleeping in the streets. So I yeah. got off, and then uh. I like get out of that taxi, man, and and it's just like so much sensory there. There's a lot of sensory, especially because I'd been in Alaska two days before that, so I'm coming from nothing, you know, just crazy. Right. 
to Gracie's to one of the most chaotic cities in the world. And the, it was just like, I, I, so I eventually just walked around from place to place and a place had a room for me. Do do a lot of people there speak English? In India, there's yeah. a decent amount because they all have their own dialects and stuff. So they need common language. Okay. India, India, mm. this is like the weird thing that you do there. That's how you get along. Mm-hmm. That means yes. Have you ever seen that before? I, what is it? Yeah. So you kind of just bob your head around, and it's like, yeah. the head bob. It's like that a very common, yeah, Indian thing. But I didn't know what I meant, yeah. So I bought a motorcycle the second day there, and I was trying to get to Agra, and they're like, uh, so I'm like on the motorcycle, and I pull over, and I'm like pointing like Agra, Agra, and I'm just getting. Like, <laughs> what the hell does that mean, dude? Like, is that a yes, is it a yes or, or no? no? Like, <laughs> so what is no? I don't know. It's, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hurt my neck. I hurt my neck, and I went to the doctor, and he was like, "Yeah, you just gotta like move your neck around like the Indians do." And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" Oh, your doctor gave you that. Yeah, and he just starts bobbing his head like from side to huh. side and up and down, and like that's yeah. like just to loosen it up, I guess. I don't know. This is like, uh huh. So like, if we were having, if I was having a podcast and we were all Indian from from India right now, we would be doing this instead of saying, uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, what are your guys' nine to five jobs then? So I'm I'm working as an environmental scientist. So I do That's like uh, yeah, site cleanups of um, gas stations and chemical plants and uh, petroleum releases. And I help um, I help the property owner or or developer clean the property up according to state or federal standards. Okay. And then and then they'll redevelop it. Yep. Yeah. And I work in uh, land development, engineering, so civil engineering, landscape architecture, and developing real estate, both residential and commercial. So you guys could both go up to Alaska then, and then you get more time off. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Way more time off. Yeah. Alaska has jobs like that. If you go on oil rigs and stuff like that. So when you work, when you work in Alaska and you're on the boat for three months, do you get the um, Alaskan income? You mean the dividend fund or whatever it is? The UBI? No, uh, no, we don't get that because I'm not a citizen. Okay. I'm not a uh, local. I'm not a resident. Okay. But they, oh, they have they they have the standard basic income there. Yeah, we everybody. were talking to yeah, we were talking to a girl who is a uh, occupational therapist, a traveling occupational therapist, and she okay. stayed in Anchorage. Was it Anchorage or Juneau? Juneau, Juneau for five or six months, and she was a true resident, and she got that universal basic income, and I think it was like a thousand a month or five hundred a month, something like that. Yeah. Even though she's only there, political, but that's kind of like the way the world needs to move towards now with all of these. Well, that's Andrew Yang. Jobs that was Andrew Yang's whole. Andrew Yang. I'm glad he brought that out there. I didn't think he was the right person, but I mean, it needs to be brought up to the point where it's like, yeah, McDonald's. McDonald's like wants to pay. They should pay tax dollars, and they don't need to have people working there that are ordering like the wrong hamburgers. Yeah. Well, <laughs> isn't like Burger King or some other some fast food chain trying like a hundred that or Taco Bell? They're paying all of their managers like a hundred thousand. I didn't know. That. <laughs> yeah, are they going to pay a hundred thousand dollars a year? Yeah. Oh, okay. And, and I then, think most others are like fifty-five. Or? I don't know. I don't know what the intention is. I think it's just to maintain the managers because I think there's. I would imagine there's high turnover. Yeah. Yeah. Then I. But I could see after that they would lower be more robotic because now the taco bells you go to they have like touch screens and yeah right. well there's lower level employees you can play the pay the employees there more money and they can be better qualified like 
Yeah. This we'll is no, this is no endorsement for Andrew Yang and this is really not getting political in any way, but his whole platform <laughs> is about, <laughs> is about the autumn, uh, the, the automation of technologies just like that. So like these cashiering positions and these autonomous vehicles that are going to be delivering our packages, they're going to end up taking these jobs away from you. My biology job is getting taken over by computers. The job I used to do. Yeah. Really? A, a lot of what I do yeah. um, can be, like there people are figuring out databases to uh present to basically churn out this like environmental report hey this is your property and within five mile radius you have all these other properties that are contaminated and you kind of piece together uh any issues Mm -hmm. Hmm. yeah yeah i mean it's it's all gonna be bad i don't know yeah that's what that's the way we're heading and the only thing holding that back right now is that companies can't do that for ethical reasons of of not hiring people Right. So yeah. then you give them a tax, like the Andrew Yang thing. Yeah, that's not my endorsement for him. I'm not political <laughs> like that. I, I swing both ways. I'm libertarian, but <laughs> yeah, I, I like take it on idea. a policy by policy basis. I don't like that. Yeah, label. exactly. Like everyone yeah. should, but apparently yeah. that's not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> They're not. So what are your guys' next big trips? That's uh, what we're, we were actually just talking about. That um, we are. I think we've settled on a continent. Did we? So this is Which how it continent? goes. Like Elliot and I each travel with our wives or, or family and then every okay. other year. So that'll be one year. Then the next year we'll go on a trip together. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, all, that's awesome. Yeah. So, so right now we're kind of eyeing up South America or. Yeah. South it was America. Between, it was between South America or we kind of had like. Tasmania. Yeah. I think those are the two now that are kind of standing out. So we like to do something outdoors. We're both in good shape. So we want to like do hiking and just kind of be out in some sort of awesome terrain environment. And uh, yeah, we know a guy who, through the podcast, we meet, you know, we obviously meet people all around the world. Uh, We know a guy who organizes trips into the Amazon jungle and you'll Mm -hmm. stay with like, you'll stay with like a tribe for a few days. We know, we just talked to a guy on Bolivia. Yeah. That's why I I just came from Bolivia and I did the Amazon a little differently, but yeah, that's what I was going to say. Nice. Yeah. It was weird for me though. Really? Why? Yeah. Cause I, cause um. I just looked on the map in Bolivia and I just saw like a really small town on the border of like Bolivia and Brazil. And I bought a ticket there and then I land there because I was in the Amazon. I wanted to find an anaconda and uh, <laughs> I land there. And again, I'm the only white person there. It's not a tourist area and everyone's like, why are you here? And I was like, so which town was I, I it? It was called uh river Alta. Dude, I mean, you should hit us up if you do that, because we do know, like we'll meet people who like the guy that we met in Bolivia runs a hotel in Bolivia. Yeah. And so if you hit us up, we might know somebody you can, you can get hooked up with in these countries. We're slowly yeah, well, just yeah. expanding our, our friendship database around the world. But yeah, our traveler's blueprint too, so tentacles. Right. Yeah. Yeah, oh, there I, it I is, Riberalta. Yeah, Riberalta, look at that. There's, it's not even a tourist town. I looked on a map, and I was like, that looks like the most remote Amazon town in Bolivia. So I'm going to fly there. Yeah. Wow. And was it? Did you find an anaconda? No, no one. No, there was they were too concerned on why I was there because they had, everyone's like, why, oh, really? what are you doing here? Why are you here? And I was like, I want to, I said, I want to wrestle one. Like, I, <laughs> I have friends with Jeff dragon. We like to catch herbs, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I want to wrestle an anaconda. And they're like, okay, really? Why are you here? Dude, you're going to, you're, you would get along with a, a guy that we're friends with named Scott light. We actually just oh, talked yeah. to him. Yeah. He, he runs a company. He's from South Carolina. He runs a company called Ethnoco. And he's an ethnobotanist. So he studies okay. plants. He studies like plants and the relationship to culture. 
And okay. he, he runs a company in Peru where he takes people out into the Amazon. Like you can go and stay with tribes. You can, you can hunt, for, not, yeah. you can like hunt for animals. Like you look for anacondas and parrots and everything. Yeah. Jaguars will take you on excursions to do that. And then he also is very involved in the ayahuasca ritual. Yeah. That's I've been in Peru with Amazon where they do that. Okay. I didn't do the ayahuasca there. Cause I didn't, I couldn't find a real, I wanted to find the most real tribe. Well, that's what he does. That's what his yeah, thing is. Good ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Well, I'll go back and do that. Then maybe that's where I'll go next. Well, we might, we might end up booking with him. Yeah. Well, you'll probably oh, yeah. end up doing it sooner, but I think that might be one of our potential trips. So yeah. yeah Cause South America is awesome. Yeah. I could, uh, oh yeah. I don't think I ever sent you guys photos or videos or anything, but I have some, I took of me hitchhiking for my mom and stuff. I'm like, because yeah, my yeah, mom's always worried. I was like, all right, mom, if you want to see what a day of hitchhiking's like, I'll video, I'll video like, because yeah, I don't know if you notice from my Instagram or anything. I don't take like a ton of photos when I travel. I should probably take more, but well, what I like about your Instagram is it's very, it seems like authentic. You're not, it's not like the in- Instagram travel influencer facade oh, yeah. pictures. It's just like you kind of just that's you taking normal pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right at face value. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we're getting, we're kind of going to wrap this up. Do you, okay. before you get off, do you have anything else you want to add? Give me a direction of what you want me to add. <laughs> what, what would you, how about this? How about this? You have a guy or what girl sitting at home listening to this who's not sure about traveling. Uh, what would you say to that person? You just got to do it. And I think the more you read about it, the more you, you put it off more and stuff. And it's like all these plans. And uh, I mean, it's so cheap. The nicest people in the world. You have to remember the United States has they a lot of this stuff tries to scare you away from it. You know, they make it sound dangerous or something, but our cities are very dangerous. We have high, like high homeless rates and all of that. A lot of stuff you won't see in other countries. Like you'll see families living with families and stuff. So I mean, when people say they don't have time or they don't have money, say time maybe, but just go for one week and try it out. And then yeah. the money, it's everyone has the money to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you travel like you do, <clears throat> you don't need yeah. to st- spend your time and your money in, in high end resorts or anything. The other thing that I think I want to just nail home for people, like, you know, you're doing these on your own. There's so many people that young travelers in their twenties that are just constantly waiting like for their friends and, you know, they're waiting for their friends to have the funds or they're waiting for their friends to have the time when they're ready to go. And, yeah. and if we learn anything from you and like the awesome experiences you've had is that you can have a great time on your own and you can kind of, if you're able to do it, just go and then travel with your friends on a later date. Just don't right. wait for them to be ready because they might never be ready. Yeah, exactly. And then if you go on your own and you're going like standard traveling, you're going to meet so many people mm-hmm. and you're, you're going to meet a lot more people on your own than you will if you're with someone else because you don't have that safety blanket to fall back on. Yeah. yeah. And if you're a young guy, as you just heard, you can meet a bunch of women willing to travel with you. If you're a young it's girl, women buy a motorcycle. If you're a young girl, <laughs> yeah. just be sure that uh, the person you're going to jump on the motorcycle with doesn't want to wrestle a tiger or anaconda. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just because he's questions. American doesn't mean he knows everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's got some wild man. That's what I would tell her. I was like, I'm American. I'm from the wild. <laughs> I'm a caveman. All right, man. And, and so what, uh, what are your social media sites if you want people to follow you? Okay, so uh, my Instagram is Buzzed Biologist, and then I post more on Facebook too. So Facebook following is probably easier, and it's just my name, which is Preston Sheeks, S H E A K S, and I'll have photos on there. And anyone can reach out to me if they want about traveling tips. 
And if anyone wants to meet me somewhere, send me a message. I'll tell you where I'm at. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to keep good. it in mind, man. I, yeah. Think, yeah. I think that's a probably a cool idea for Elliot and I to just find wherever you are Ooh. in the world when we're ready. And, yeah, and, just uh, come. Yeah, yeah. All right, man. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Thanks so much for taking the time. I'm glad we caught up. I know we messaged each other months ago, and I'm glad we finally did this. Yeah, that no, was awesome. It was great talking to you guys. So, you know what I learned from this conversation? There no, I don't. Is, Tell me. It's a, there's a very broad definition of travel. And I, know, I didn't really actually learn it. I already knew this, but I guess it was really brought to light in this conversation. You know, all travelers have to physically travel to a new destination to be considered a traveler. That's obvious. But the methods at which people actually travel and the experiences they seek vary wildly. And, and Preston's method is incredibly different than mine. Very. Yeah, very, very. Polar opposites. But I am extremely curious to experience the world as he does and kind of step into his shoes and see it in the way that he does. And, and I hope that we can meet up at some point in the future, somewhere, wherever he is, when we're ready to go, we'll hit him up and I will get the experience of a lifetime. Yeah, you just have to keep your mouth shut and let him take you where he's going. Oh, I, I would. I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't know anything. <laughs> the, the, That's the true. Whole, the whole thing with my travel style is that I already know most of the information I need to know before I go there to make it easier once I'm there. Whereas mm. he just, Winked it. yeah, he wants to learn on the fly and I can respect it. I understand it. I, I see the appeal. I really, really do. And so I'm curious to kind of try it myself and who knows, maybe I'll change my style after, after that type of experience. You might. I like it. Yeah. But you don't do it to that extreme. You don't do it to that extreme. No, not all the time. No. Yeah. So for Preston's trivia, if you remember from the beginning of the episode, what was the name of the bird Preston was researching in Hawaii on Maui? This is a really good one. It is really good. It's a really cool bird too. It is. He only mentioned it one time. So yeah. sometimes these trivia questions, they're, they're reiterated. And this one, he said it once and that was it. And so if you were listening, uh, Send us the answer. As always, what? As always, please rate us on iTunes. If you rate us on iTunes and you screenshot that rating, we'll send you a Traveler's Blueprint sticker. We've never done that before, but uh, honestly, we want some more ratings. And so in order to entice you to do that, to take the time out of your day to do that, send us a rating, screenshot that rating, and we will ask you for your address and send you a TTB sticker to put on your backpack, on your laptop, whatever you want. So uh, thank you for listening and uh, tune in next week to hear our next guest. 